Beth Allison did me a favor and represented the question to them, what do you hope for? What do you hope for as women? And here's what some of their answers were. Health and happiness for family and friends. Future child through adoption. Salvation for family. I hope that the lost would be found. Family. I hope to see my grandchildren grown and married. Contentment all the time to know my fulfillment is with the Lord. And in the course of that conversation, my future child through adoption as well, through the course of that conversation, it became so apparent that, that these women's hopes were in things that were nurturing to make a difference in someone's life, that their hopes had to do with other people, with their physical growth, their spiritual growth. My passion will be combined with, and I miss the rest of that, health, for, health and happiness for family. And then, also in the course of the conversation, because it did get a, a little bit silly, we had and they're moving to it. A George Clooney sighting was hoped for as well. <laughs> so along with all the other nurturing things, we, we, we had a little, a little bit of that come into it. But what I realized is, is what these women hoped for was something for other people, not just themselves. And then I had the opportunity to have lunch with a couple of friends of mine separately. And these are women who love God deeply. They're smart women. They're creative women. One of them has had an opportunity to do work that literally has taken her around the world. And the other is very involved in missions and, and in doing things for other people as well. And as I talked to both of these women, one of the things that really struck me in the course of those conversations is when I am with them, I feel like things are possible. That change is possible. That those dreams that I have are possible. And I realized that they nurture that in me. They nurture that hope in me. And what I think is striking about both of those ladies is they do that when their own heart's desires have not been met. Neither of those women is a mother. And both are the most nurturing, giving women that I know. Nurturing in the best sense of the word. Nurturing in that they want to see others grow. And they inspire that. And so I, my thought this morning is if we can learn to cultivate hope, if we can define hope and cultivate hope and share it with each other. Guys, we're going to talk about hope from a very female perspective today, so you're kind of along for the ride. But it's, it's a perspective that applies to women whether you're a mother or you're not a mother. Because God has, has gifted you to nurture to nurture friendships, to nurture the, the, the people in your life. And as I had lunch with these two women, and I so realized that, that they perform a function in my life that's very much like a mother to me. And so our message this morning is on hope. How do you cultivate it? How do you understand it? How do you nurture it? How do you define it? As I, as I said earlier, I had a, a definition of hope that was really kind of vague, when you think of the word hope, how do, you, how do you define it? Can you get a grasp on what that is, on what that means? One of the things that I found so interesting over the course of the last few weeks in, in looking at this and studying about this 
is the perspective that hope is a way of thinking. It's not just a way of feeling. Hope is a way of thinking. It's a way of understanding the world around you. It's a way of understanding your circumstances. It's a way of responding to circumstances. It's a way of, of living your life. Hope is just not what you feel. Hope is how you think. Hope can be your motivation. It can mold how you respond. And as I thought about that, and thought about these ladies, and, and thought about the women in that Bible study that, that we spoke to, I thought of, of the story in Scripture that so grips my heart because it is one of the most hopeful encounters that we read of Jesus with a woman. And it has always just touched me in a way that, that is just special, that not all scripture does that that deeply. There are those special stories, those special scriptures that, that just feed your soul. And this story for me has always done that. And I want to share it with you this morning. And I realize that this is undoubtedly probably the strangest passage I could have chosen for a Mother's Day talk. Absolutely. It's the strangest passage. And, and you're probably not ever going to hear it on Mother's Day again. So bear with me. Okay. I know it's a weird choice. Just bear with me. We're going to go to the book of John, chapter 8, verses 2 through 11. And it's early in the morning. Do you know the light's different early in the morning? Are you an early riser? Have you gotten up early? And the light's different and the sounds are different. Maybe it's a little chilly. Well, we're going back to Jerusalem. And it's early in the morning. It's the end of a, a feast, the Festival of Tabernacles. So the city is full of people. And Jesus has left, left the city the night before to sleep, but he's back early in the morning. He's back and he goes to the temple complex where he's been teaching. And it's early. And the dawn is breaking. This is actually a, a photo of Jerusalem in the early morning. And the scripture says all the people were gathered around him. Because it was a, a time of festival of celebration. There were a lot of people in town. I, I don't know the number that that was, but it said all the people were gathered around to listen to him speak, to listen to him teach. And I'm sure they, they were aware of the, the underground mutterings that were going on from the Pharisees and, and what the word on the street was about this man. And they're curious and they're there to hear what he has to say. And in the, that early morning, early morning hour, in that early morning light, from up the street, there's a, a disturbance, and, and you hear noise and sound, and something's happening, and it gets closer and closer and closer. And it's the Pharisees with a woman. And they bring this woman to stand in the center of the crowd, in the center of the group. And the scripture tells us that they had caught the woman in the act of adultery. One of the things that's interesting about this is the man wasn't with her. It, it sort of feels a little bit like a, a setup for Jesus. And that this woman was going to be collateral damage in the plan. But she had made choices and been caught in the act of adultery, drug out, 
because to, to make that accusation, somebody had to witness the act, drug out, and my presumption based on the time of day and the sin is that they probably didn't take time to cover her. I don't know that, but just knowing human nature and, and what's going on, perhaps she is not, not clothed and not covered. And they drag her to the center of that crowd. And I can just imagine what that felt like for her. To be the object of every eye. The eyes that were leering. The eyes that were disgusted. The eyes that uh, were curious and just wanted to, wanted to see, wanted to see more, wanted to see what was going to happen. The eyes of judgment. I can just imagine how humiliating that was for that woman to stand there in the center of that group of people. And then the Pharisees said, we've caught this woman in the act of adultery. Moses says in the law to stone her. What do you say? And that's, that's the setup. That's the test. Because if Jesus says, yes, she needs to be stoned, then they can turn him into the Roman authorities. If he says no, then the Jewish people know that he's not agreeing with the law. So they've kind of figured either way he answers, they've got it, that there's not a good answer for this question. And what happens next is, is something in Scripture I've heard several sermons on, and it's interesting to me that, that folks have tried to figure out or, or determine what Jesus wrote, because it said as, he, as this woman is being brought and, and stood in the crowd, he reaches down and he writes in the dirt. is he writing in the dirt? What I have decided as I've read this, because it doesn't tell us, is that maybe it's irrelevant what he was writing in the dirt. I think if it was important for us to know that, scripture would tell us what it was. What strikes me as a woman when I read this is as this crowd is gathered around staring at this woman, as she's the object of everybody's attention and everybody's eyes, Jesus is not looking at her right now in that moment. He's riding in the dirt. And I think that is so key, and it's something that we don't always get when we read this. When every other eye was judging and leering and humiliating, Jesus was not looking at her. He was looking somewhere else. And I got out my, my grandmother's Bible last night, kind of honoring her legacy in my life. So I got out her old King James giant print, and I read this story in her version, in her Bible. And it says, as he's writing in the dirt, as though he heard them not. Just ignoring it. Writing, but not looking at that woman at that point in time. And so they keep asking at which point he raises himself up, answers them, and goes back to writing in the dirt. And what he said to them was, he who is without sin cast the first stone. Wasn't an answer they expected. Didn't go either way in their scenario. But he is who, without sin cast the first stone. And then he goes back to writing in the dirt. And scripture says that the ones who were accusing slowly turned and left the oldest leaving first, 
down to the youngest, leaving Jesus and the woman standing there. And I think that's interesting, too, that she stayed there. Maybe she had an opportunity to, to slink away when the others were leaving. But she stayed standing there. And it was at that point that he looked up and addressed her. And I think what she saw in his eyes at that moment was so very different than what she saw in all those other eyes earlier. And I don't know if, if she could have realized the difference had he looked at her in that crowd of eyes. But at the point she was alone and focused on him, he looked at her in a way that was very, very different. A love that was unfathomable and unquestioning. And then he said to her, where are your accusers? They're all gone. Neither do I condemn you. And go and leave your life of sin. Go and sin no more. That story to me embodies hope as a woman. To know that Jesus sees us clearly. He saw that woman clearly. She's standing right before him. He saw the sin. He saw the reaction of the other people. I think he saw her heart. He sees us clearly, the gifts, the flaws, the good decisions, the bad decisions, the sin. He sees it all clearly, but he looks at us differently. Ladies, remember that. He sees us clearly, but he looks at us differently. He didn't look at her like the others looked. He didn't gaze upon her with the gaze the others did. It was very different. And as true as that was for that woman on that morning in Jerusalem, it is true for you. He sees you clearly, but he looks at you differently. And one of the things that really hit home for me in the past couple of weeks in visiting with friends and, and just talking about life, because life is complex and messy, and like this woman, sometimes the places we end up are partly our own choices and partly somebody else's. And just talking through some of those, some of those circumstances and situations and, and thinking about it in the context of hope. I wonder if, if sometimes the accusing eyes that, that we see are not only other people, but maybe are the eyes that you see in the mirror every morning. Maybe the, the eyes that, that you'd really like to avoid that are judgmental and harsh are your own. I love in that song they led us in earlier, God give us a vision to see things as you do. It's my prayer for you that as you look in the mirror, if you look in your own eyes, that you would have a vision to see things as God sees, to see things as Jesus sees, to see as he looked at that woman differently 
than the way everybody else looked at her, the way everybody else judged her, the way everybody else perceived her. And what I love about the rest of this interaction is that he assumes change. He expects change. He empowers change in that woman. She stayed. She didn't leave when everybody else was leaving. And what he said to her was, go and sin no more. She could do that. Her life could be changed because of that interaction. Sometimes I think we just don't really believe that we can change our lives, that we can make different choices, that we're not stuck in routines and ruts and habits that have dogged us for a lifetime. But that encounter with Jesus, an encounter for you with Jesus today, can change things. Simply the word from his mouth to your heart will change your heart. And his Holy Spirit in your life empowers you to make different choices. It empowers you to see things from an eternal perspective and not just in the moment. And ladies, that's my prayer for you, that you grab hold of the fact that if you stand in front of Jesus, his touch will change you. And he expected that of that woman. I don't see any sense of, well, go try to not make the same choices. Go try not to do that. Go and sin no more. Grab hold of that. Grab hold of that promise, that word, that life can be different. That a, an encounter with Jesus, a touch with Jesus, for you as a woman, can change your life, can change the way you live your life, can change the choices you make in your life. There was something different about the way he looked at her. There was something different in that interaction. There was something different in that lack of condemnation. And as we stood and sang this morning and, and sang those songs about being in your presence and seeing things the way you see them, Lord, it really caused hope to rise up in me. I think this, this interaction between Jesus and this woman changed the way she thinks. And that's what I want to bring you back to today, is that interaction with Jesus, standing in front of him, gives you a different way of thinking, a different way of perceiving the world, a different way of understanding things. And I encourage you to spend time learning about that. I read in uh, the book that the 242 groups are using, and if you were at a 242 class this past Sunday, maybe it was referenced that, that scripture in Jeremiah 29.11, another plans for you to give you a future and a hope. Isn't it fascinating, as often as we use that scripture, as we talk about the hope, the way of thinking that changes our lives, the hope that God has for us, that that message was part of, of a slightly longer letter written to God's people who were in exile 
who were in a place they didn't want to be, who had no choice in their being there, who had been taken away from Jerusalem, who were in Babylon. And sometimes maybe we feel like that. We're in a place we don't want to be. And God's Word says, I have a hope. I have a way of thinking. I want you to have a way of thinking about your life, of processing information that reflects my perspective and not the world's perspective. I want you to have a way of thinking, a way of living, a way of molding your life, a way of making choices that's different than the world's. And over the past few weeks, the word hope has just jumped out at me over and over and over. Do you have any idea how often it's in Scripture? Especially if you're not looking for it and it, it becomes like one of those flashing lights. Has that happened to you that, that something you read a hundred times has a different meaning? Or a piece of it just jumps out? And that's what's happened with the word hope. I love that verse in Ephesians. Um, there, the song says, open the eyes of my heart. And one of the the translation says, I, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened. And I read in my grandmother's Bible last night that it said, I hope the, that the, I'm going to look at it so I'll get it right, that the perception of your mind may be enlightened so you know what is the hope of his calling. I think hope is part of enlightening the perception of your mind, thinking in a way that is hopeful, that sees a goal and knows how to get there. And the getting there is through Christ Jesus. To see a life that you want and the getting there is through Christ Jesus. To see a, a hope for your kids or your family or your friends and the getting there is through an encounter with Jesus. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, whether you've been walking with Christ for two days or two weeks, or you're coming up on 70 years, every day is an opportunity for an encounter that can change the way you think, that can change the way you think about that moment, about that day. And it's those moments and the days that add up to the life, the legacy that you want to leave your family, the legacy that you want to leave your friends, one of the things that I read in the hope research was that hope can be learned. Hope can be taught. That's encouraging as, as a wife and a mother, as a woman, as women. Hope can be taught. You can teach other people to think hopefully. You can teach other people to view life from a hopeful perspective. And it starts at that encounter with Jesus. Everything starts there. And so whatever, whatever the eyes were that you saw this morning when you walked in here, whatever the eyes were you saw when you gazed in the mirror, whatever the eyes you saw over the, the breakfast table, maybe they weren't filled with, with unconditional love and acceptance and no condemnation. But that's how Jesus looks at you. And I truly believe as women, you are empowered and equipped to share that with other people. 
you can cultivate hope in other people. I know you can. Those friends of mine have done it in my life. You can, you can cultivate hope. You can strengthen your own. And you can be truly a light and offer a different perspective. One of the, the things that I so appreciated about being able to share this word this morning with you women was that this is also Corporate Communion Sunday. And as a way of recognizing the hope we have in Christ, as a way of remembering what he did to give us that hope, as a way of celebrating that hope in your own life, we're going to be able to take communion together corporately. And Pastor Aaron will, will come and lead us in that. But ladies, live your life in a way that reflects the hope of your encounter with Christ. He sees you clearly, but he looks at you so differently than the world.